Let's pray. Gracious God, as we have already lifted our focus to you in praise and adoration, recognizing, Father, that you, from the beginning, are working your good plan. Your good plan fulfilled in your son Jesus with hope for the future. So, Father, we take a few moments just to think about this, these, this special day, this special event. Amen. I really like the theme that we have, change to be changed. The life of faith is all about growing. We never arrive. We always have the privilege of growing, and we also have the privilege of God tracking with us in our lives, the journeying with us as he provides his spirit for us. This is the greatest week in human history that we are looking into, that we are pondering, that we are thinking about. Stop and think about it. Is there any other week in history that has such an impact as this holy week that we are experiencing now? I doubt it. The impact of Christianity has been astounding, has impacted many people, millions of people, all throughout history. Now, some people want to focus on the time where the church has got off the rails and has gone in a direction that isn't helpful, inquisitions, and, and we have the crusades, and we could go on. But when authentic Christianity is practiced, not merit performance-based religion, but when authentic Christianity, centered in the grace and the powerful message of Christ, when people change from the inside out, there is astounding things that happen. And it's happening all over the world today. It might not be up front and center. Maybe it's in many places under the radar. But Christ is building his church. And this week, again, that we are commemorating is the greatest week in human history. Why did the triumphal entry had to happen? You kind of wonder, why did, that, why did they have to ride into Jerusalem? What's this whole thing that's going on on this special day? What is going on in the minds of the Jewish people? What were their expectations? Was it a surprise to them that Jesus entered on a donkey symbolizing peace rather than a horse for war or judgment? But the triumphal entry inaugurates the final week in Jesus' life, the greatest week in human history. In the triumphal entry, Jesus predicts a time of physical peace on earth at the very end of the age. But he also wants us to understand spiritual peace in the immediate context as he rides into the holy city of Jerusalem. And the story is familiar to us, but I want to read it. Listen carefully to the words. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The momentum, his reputation is building. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. They took palm branches and went to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughters of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things were written for him and about him and that they had to come to pass. It's a very, very important event taking place. Here's people crying out to God, save us. Here's people exalting the name of God. Here's people who are, who are lifting up this one, Jesus, who's riding on the colt as the king. The arrival of the king, the king, the long-expected king of Israel has arrived. 
But you know what's rather remarkable about the story? After all the fanfare is done, this incredible event, the event fizzled. Do you realize at the end of this event, it fizzled? After he entered into Jerusalem, moving towards the place of mercy, and that's important, the altar of mercy, moving towards that. And Matthew, after he had come in, he threw out the money changers, performed some healing miracles, and he left, spent the night in Bethany. And Mark, Jesus went into the temple courts and he looked around and then he went to Bethany. In Luke, he weeps over Jerusalem and he predicts the rightful destruction of Jerusalem. In the Gospel of John, we see that the disciples didn't understand what was happening and the priests were planning to kill Jesus and to kill Lazarus. What was their expectations? What did they miss about the cues that were there from the Old Testament as to this unbelievable, incredible, and important event? You see, John brings together two passages from the Old Testament that describe the the triumphal entry. And many times that happens in the New Testament where they bring together passages and they link them together, the fulfillment. Did the triumphal entry really fizzle? Or did the events follow and inaugurate the events that would take place and the prophecies that would be fulfilled? You see, these passages in the Old Testament are very, very important. Psalm 118 is probably one of the most important messy, we call messianic psalms, or psalms that predict the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Probably one of the most significant ones. And in the midst of that, we see this marvelous rejoicing and gladness as the boughs join hands as they come in a procession moving towards the horns of the altar of mercy. The destination was the place of mercy. And right in the context of that passage, you need to understand this, is a passage right before the verse that says, the stones that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus, in a parable that he tells about the landowner who sends his servants to check out his property and how things are doing, and you recall in that parable, he sent his servants and they were mistreated and beaten up. And he did it again and again. And finally he said, I'll send my son and they'll respect my son. And they killed the son. And this word is given on that parable. And the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You see, as Jesus enters in on that day with all the fanfare, it's also recognizing in the midst of that that there is rejection. The theme of rejecting of the the suffering servant, the the rejection of him is there. And we see in Zechariah chapter 9, Again, physical peace is in the future, but immediate spiritual peace and freedom is there when Jesus came to this earth. As for you, in verse 11, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Many allusions in the old the imagery of the Old Testament, but isn't there a strong allusion to the New Testament? For on that night, when he, after this triumphal entry, when he gathers with his disciples, he says, the cup that I am showing you, the cup that we're going to drink, is the cup, is the new covenant in my blood. In Hebrews 13, now may the God of peace, who brings peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant bought back from the dead Jesus Christ, who is to be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. And on this special occasion of Passover for the Jewish people, we see the Lamb, being being slain in the imagery of the Lamb of God. In Philippians chapter 2, Jesus was humbled. Humbled, coming in, riding on a donkey. The humility of Jesus to the point of death, and then the exaltation occurs. You see, the coming in on the donkey, 
was a, play, a time for celebration, but it was a time to recognize the atonement. It was a time to recognize that as He came, the powerful imagery of the Old Testament shows us that He is also going to die. He's going to be rejected. He's going to die. See, they weren't tuned in to the final events in Jesus' life. They missed it. They seemed to miss it. The peace, yes. But again, they wanted the physical peace. They wanted the inauguration of that ultimate kingdom that will strike all the evil in the world and set up the kingdom. But somehow they missed the spiritual peace. And the question for us today is, do we, are we going to miss the spiritual peace in our lives that flows from the triumphal entry, flows through this week? Jesus says, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you what? Peace. Spiritual peace. Take your yoke. Enter into a relationship with me. Take that yoke with me. For I'm gentle of heart and you'll find rest for your souls. My burden is not heavy. Engage with me. We need to stay tuned in this special reach that reaches into the deepest places of our lives to offer us, folks, genuine peace. But it's spiritual peace first. But the lingering question for us as we move on for this week is, are we going to follow Jesus to the cross? Or are we just going to be the ones that will celebrate the King? The King who came into Jerusalem. Disciples seem to miss it on that special week. How about us? Are we going to miss the implications that are there for the suffering servant? We might be there for the euphoria of the events like the triumphal entry. But are we there when the king goes to bear the cross of suffering? Are we going to go there this week as the people of faith? Rejoice, yes, but journey together to the cross. I intend to have some personal contemplation this week, time that I'm going to spend moving beyond the triumphal entry to focus on the reality of the cross. We will journey together in our service on Monday, Thursday, which I would love to journey with you. And, and of course, then we move towards the glorious resurrection of Christ. But he wants us to understand again the passage in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. It's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live by faith, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this morning, let's celebrate with the branches. But realize the implications as we celebrate. That was implied was the rejection, was implied the atonement, was implied the cross. And let's journey together, journey together with Jesus to the cross. Amen. Throughout this season of Lent, we've been inviting people from our church in each of the services to share ways that God has worked in their lives recently, to um, highlight stories of the change that comes in their lives when we um, meet with Jesus. We've been sharing stories throughout the series of people who encountered Jesus and their lives were changed. And for so many of us in this room, that is true of our stories as well. And that that happens in an ongoing process. And um, I can think of just several times this week where just God made himself new to me again. And uh, what a gift that is in our relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, Sean's going to share. And so I want to invite him up. And you get to take this mic and head over to the chair, Sean. All right. It's a very comfortable chair. Um, 
So when they asked me to share a little bit about um, my story, my current chapter in life, and uh, what God's been teaching me, I think I identify more with the journey over there than with the changed, complete, finished product that seems to be uh, on the sign here behind me. And so I was, I was kind of thinking about, well, what could I, what could I talk about um, on Sunday? And um, as a, a wise married person, I turned to my wife and said, so what do you think... What do you see? Like, what? How is God working in my in my life right now? And she turned to me and said, "How vulnerable do you want to be?" <laughs> and uh, those of us who are married know that uh, God blesses us with spouses who speak truth and challenge and love into our lives. And mine is no different. Um, and so, the the story or the chapter that I want to share with you briefly this morning is kind of where I'm at right now. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sean Kalaki, and I am uh, working on something really big right now. I'm trying to complete a PhD in French literature, and at the same time complete uh, my job search for the perfect job. If you know academic uh, jobs, you kind of are completing that PhD at the same time that you're looking for that first job. And uh, my dream job popped up, and it was a tenure-track position at St. Olaf College, where I went as an undergrad, and I thought, oh. The path is, per- this is perfect, this is what God wanted, this all works out, great. Um, and I made it to be a finalist, and then they chose someone else. So um, and that's kind of the way things go, right? I mean, you think you see the path, and then God shows you that there's a, a different, better path. I'm still waiting to see what that better path is, but uh, my past history with God has shown me that the thing that I usually wanted so much taught me some lessons that were very valuable for the next thing that was so much better than what I could ever have imagined. So as I'm, as I'm working through these things, um, God's teaching me a lot about dealing with fear and anxiety, which is something that I've struggled with my whole life. And I think the lesson that God is really reinforcing with me, he's working with me on perspective, patience, and perseverance. Um, and throughout all of this, I've been really reminded of the, the verse in Romans 8 where it says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And I, can, I think I continually need those uh, reminders of uh, the ally that I have in God. And you know, with anxiety, it's one of those things where uh, in parts of my life, I felt like it's an elevator that has no bottom. It keeps going down in free fall in those moments when you're just you're not sure that you're good enough or smart enough or capable enough or strong enough or fill in the blank. And you can keep filling in the blank as you keep going down. Um, and the, the part of my life where I feel like God has really worked a sustainable change and, and has transformed my life is that now there is a bottom to that elevator. I still have moments of anxiety where I, I wonder and I worry and I fear, but at least the elevator only goes down so far before there's this the stop that says, okay, that's enough. Uh, you know, there, there is something here that, that supports and sustains and says, okay, how about let's look at some other things. And the part where God is continuing to change me and work in my life is where I see this perspective that says, you know, let's look at some other things. And, you know, that, that fear is a lie. And don't buy that. Keep looking at me. Keep celebrating. Keep rejoicing. Um, in Proverbs in 15, it says, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. And I thought, oh, that's a description of how like some people get this continual feast, other people are just wretched all their days, and that's, you know, that's a description. So, you know, which category am I in? We'll see. And then I read a little further, and it, it, in verse 19 it says, the ways of the sluggard, procrastinator, 
hesitant maybe we might translate, um, is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. And I thought, he's not really describing categories of people, he's describing your attitude and approach to life. If you are the one who is uh, the sluggard or fearful or hesitant, your path is blocked with thorns. And if you instead are focusing on being upright, then life is a highway. And it, it just reminded me that it's more about my attitude and approach and how I take things on than about what sort of person I am. And that's kind of the way that God is working with me to really teach me lessons about perspective and patience and perseverance, all of which are needed to finish this chapter, uh, pun intended, that I'm in right now. So that's my story for today.